Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. This morning, uh, in Philip Yancey's book, there's some, what's so amazing about grace, what's so amazing about grace, he opens it. It's been maybe seven years since I've read it, so I'm going to get the details a bit wrong, but the essence of the story is that there's this woman called Babette living in a village and she keeps to herself and she doesn't really, uh, she doesn't really talk to many people. She's quite private, quite introverted. Um, but what happens is that Babette gets a, um, an inheritance and what she does, she orders all this exotic food from everywhere around and she brings it all to this village and she cooks it and she prepares and she lovingly sends out invitations to all the people of the village and she invites them to come for this meal. And, uh, and, and she spends her whole inheritance on this meal for the people of the village that don't know her and have no way of giving back to her what she just gave to them. And then it's done. And some would say that what Babette did was squandered. And some would say that what Babette did was the perfect picture of grace. And so I'm going to ask two very wonderful people from Northwest Church, Bill, Merrick and Sally Sally, no, that's his wife. Sandy, not his wife, <laughs> Erwin, <laughs> to come and read. Bill's going to go first and then Sandy. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. It works. Right, hello. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, I am just doing a quick reading. Excuse me, I'll just get... I wasn't quite ready for that, but I'm, I'm ready now. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, Luke 18. I'll just get my phone working because I'm a little bit... Uh, I'm like Daz. I, uh, I'm a little bit blind. Here we go. <laughs> the rich ruler. And a, a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and distrib distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than, the rich, than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who, those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible for man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you, and said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house, left their house, or all their wives, or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Thank you. 
Um, I'm older than Bill, so I'm just going to scroll up my paper iPad here. <laughs> okay. Jesus, uh, sorry, I'm reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, OMG, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today and YOLO, you need to get down here straight away. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Please thank Sandy and Bill. Very tilted today. Okay. Does it not go flutter usually? No? Oh, Nate's got it. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, um, oh, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, so, um, grace is a concept that could be very foreign to us, but could also be very familiar to us. Grace could be something that we pray before we sit down at the dinner table or before we eat. Grace, you might know grace as the grace notes in a music score, which are the small non-essential notes to the melody and the accompaniment but that add something so beautiful that without them, it feels like something's missing. You might know grace. You might take grace for granted. Someone who is in this room today told my brother when they were growing up in church, oh, it's okay if you swear. You just ask Jesus for forgiveness. <laughs> grace can be cheapened as anything can when you don't know how much it cost. Grace can be squandered. And grace can be, like I said, foreign and familiar. You might hear about grace this morning and say, I know it, I know it, Bron. You might immediately have the acronym in your head, God's riches at Christ's expense, and that may mean nothing to you or it may mean a lot to you. This morning I want to ask us the question, are you operating under a grace system? And once you answer that, I want to ask you the question, do you need a touch of grace? Because I believe that God is here this morning to give actually an outpouring of grace, but also that he wants to give just a touch because just a touch would change our lives forever. So we're going to look at these two men this morning in terms of the system that they're operating under that Bill and Sandy read about. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray it would go deep in us, Lord, and that it would actually bear fruit in us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to every individual exactly what you want them to hear because you are able to do that. You know where everyone is up to and you're able to speak a word directly into their situation that is able to set them free. So we declare that over this morning's congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thinking about the rich young ruler, let's for a moment assume the best of him. Because a bunch of rich young rulers, a bunch of rulers in the synagogue came to Jesus to test him. 
and to get him into a trap, but that's always explicitly stated that they came to test Jesus. It doesn't say that about this rich young ruler. And in fact, the whole line of questioning just feels a little bit different. And uh, so he's coming and he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, inherent in that kind of question is actually maybe a fear of death. Like I'm worried, Jesus, about what happens after we die. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And maybe you've been there where you've actually thought, oh, I'm a little bit worried about what happens after we die. But he says, good teacher. Now, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except the Father. Now, remembering that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We don't see the scriptures as they are. We see them as we are. When I read that, I'm immediately like, oh, Jesus, why? Why did you say that to him? No one's good except the Father. Because I immediately recall when I used to get asked the question from a Christian, um, oh, how are you? I would say, good, thanks. And they say, no one's good except God. And be like, oh, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> And, and, and again and again, they would just say that every time they saw me until I realized that, how are you? They didn't even really care. It's just like, hi, hey. It's just a form of greeting. So I trained myself to say, well, thanks. But then also flip the lid on them and would tell them exactly how I was. You want to know? Here it comes. And I will tell you, you don't want to hear good, so here it comes. And I blame them for me now being an oversharer. So... If you ask me how I am, you just look out. It's coming. But So I thought that Jesus was kind of like, no one's good except the Father because that's how I am. That's how what I read into it. But in fact, Jesus is not bringing a trite, corrective, condescending statement. He's actually realigning this young man's thinking. You see, this young man is going in saying, good teacher, because he's observing Jesus' teaching and saying, okay, there's something good about you. And actually, as we see, he considers himself good, because anyone who considers himself good also has an eye on who else is good and, and keeps track of that as well and who's bad. And he comes and says, good teacher, you might know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, hey, it's not about good. And then he says, well, tell me, you know, the commandments, have you kept them? And he gives him five, five of the commandments. And he says, you must not commit adultery? Well, we all know that's bad. That's right up on the list of bad, bad things to do. And vying for first and second is you shall not murder. And then also he says you shall not steal, a little less bad, but still bad in our books. You shall not bear false witness against someone. That was like in a court of law, so that would be a very bad thing to do. And you must honour your father and mother. Well, these are things that in that society were held as vitally important, honouring your father and mother as a patriarchal, very family system orientated honouring culture. So of course, they're the ones that he would have done. So he was able to answer, well, all these I've kept since my youth. And the Mark account says that he says to Jesus, but still I lack something. I still lack something. And Jesus says, yeah, one thing you lack. Well, no, actually, Jesus, correction, five things he lacks because you just gave five of the Ten Commandments, but there's still five to go. He still hasn't, you haven't talked about keeping the Sabbath holy. You haven't talked about not taking your name in vain, about not having other gods before you, not coveting, and also not having any idols. So why aren't you mentioning those? Because Jesus wants to get away from the talk around what's done and go straight to the heart of the matter. And he says, what you lack is that you need to sell everything you have, give it all to the poor, and come and follow me. He gets to the heart of the matter because this man is heavily invested 
in what he owns. He's heavily invested and he, Jesus wants to set him free from his worship of his money and say, I've got a better thing for you to worship if you'll let that go. Now, devastatingly, the man goes away sad. Like he doesn't even go away going, oh, well, count the cost, whatever. No, thank you, Jesus. He goes away sad. Other, like that Greek word, he goes away frowning. He goes away with a lowered look. The man goes away depressed. And yet this happens all the time. We've got some great friends and they used to come to church. And he loved church and she never quite got it. And he, he loved it and he was going on and growing it and she loved him so she kept coming. And then there was a bit of offence and actually I was the cause of that, some of that offence unknowingly and, and, and it was awful. It's always awful when you offend somebody unknowingly. A little better when you do it knowingly. Um, <laughs> no, I hate that too. Um, but... You know, there was apologies and all that kind of thing. But just gradually, he just stopped coming. And a good friend of his said to him, why? Why did you stop coming to church? You know, you were reading your Bible. You were growing. You were going to connect group. Why? And he said, I, I, I looked at everything that I had away from God and the happiness in my marriage that I had if God wasn't a part of it. And so I chose that instead of this. And you know what about that? man who's my friend, he's happy here, but he's not happy here. He's gone away sad. There's a sadness in him from going away. And so that's devastating. Turn now to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is up the tree, yellowing apparently. <laughs> so good. And, um, and he's up there, and, and, and it says that, you see, in the Matthew account, it says that the young man was the chief ruler of the synagogue. Well, Zacchaeus is also the chief tax collector. Different kind altogether. Now, when we say tax collector, just a few little points here. It's not like my friend who's just moved from Port Macquarie to Newcastle to, for a job with the Australian Taxation Office. She's uprooted her whole family to go because the conditions are so good and the pay is excellent. No. No, this is completely different tax collecting. Dan, give me a country. America invades Australia. Don't say woo, Beck Messant, wherever you are. America invades Australia and uh, they take our lands from us and then they make us pay to stay on the land. Sounds vaguely familiar, but anyway, we won't go there. And, and Dan starts working for the American government and taxing us on their behalf. And not only that, is he making us pay for the lands that we were supposed to own? He's adding a DST, a Daniel Sun tax. And he's saying, I'm just going to take a little bit extra because I've got all these guys behind me who can come and make you pay if I need them to. And so he's taking our money from us. He is ripping us off. He's a bad man. And that's what tax collectors were. In fact, they were grouped separately from sinners. When people talked about Jesus and got upset with him who was hanging around, they said, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. You've got your everyday run-of-the-mill sinners, prostitutes, gluttons, drunkards, drug users, whatever, and then you've got your tax collectors. So they were bad. They were the scum of society. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. We're going to eat some lunch. And just another thing, the table back then was so much more than it is today. I can go to Hungry Jack's and someone else can come and sit at my table. I'm never going to Hungry Jack's. <laughs> and I've never seen it so crowded that someone needed to share my table. <laughs> and if they wanted to, they could just eat off the floor with all the food left over. Sorry, okay. 
<laughs> Sorry if you work for Hungry Jacks, it's a great establishment. Whoppers are amazing. Meet you there after church. <laughs> but, um, whoa, that was bad. That's the opposite of product placement. And, um, and so he, to go and sit at the table meant that you were reconciling with them. To go and sit at, and have table with someone was that you were inviting them to be cl- part of your close-knit group, which makes total sense for Jesus to go and get the sinners and the tax collectors because he came to seek and save those who were lost. But it's why Paul made such a big deal and said, you know, with the people that say that they're Christians, like Mikey was talking about, and don't even live anything like that, then don't even eat with such people. It's not because Paul was saying we need to separate ourselves from the bad people in the world, but no, he said the table was such a, a point of reconciliation and condoning behaviour in that society. So to eat with a Christian who wasn't living like a Christian was the worst thing that you could, that's not helping them at all. So Jesus sitting with a man who is a tax collector is a whole other level. And what he's doing is amazing. And everyone's, there's this outcry as Sandy read. What's he doing eating with him? Because Jesus, at this point, he was like a big deal. And they're going, does Zacchaeus deserve such honour as Jesus coming to eat with him? And the answer is no. Zacchaeus doesn't deserve it at all. And Jesus just comes and shows him grace. And Zacchaeus has this response to grace where he says, everything that I have, half, is gone to the poor. And with the half that's left over, I'm going to pay back four times to everyone. I am going to greatly reduce my station of living in order to have an outpouring of response to the grace that I've just received. Two responses, days apart. Completely different. And so this morning, I want to look at a touch of grace because grace has changed my life. Grace is the thing that even after being a Christian for 15 years, turned my life upside down. And I don't know how I'm going to go because even preparing this message, I was like a bit of a mess. I kept leaking out my eyes. (laughs) And um, the other week, Lockie said to me, great preach, mum. And I said, um, I'm sorry it wasn't funny, mate. And he said, oh, you nearly cried. That was pretty funny. (laughs) So, lock, you might be up again. But grace has changed my life. You see, at 14 years old, I really made a solid commitment to follow Jesus. And in my teens, I'm so grateful for people who didn't just say that unless you follow all the rules, you can't be here, but actually extended grace to me. Because in my teens, I struggled with swearing and lying and people-pleasing. And then in my 20s, it's just a blur because I was having babies. Can all the young mums say amen? <laughs> so I don't know what I was struggling with, but there was a whole lot. But, but I think I narrowed the people-pleasing down to Christian-pleasing. I didn't care so much about pleasing all of the world anymore as just pleasing Christians. And then in my early 30s, I struggled with shame and inadequacy and, and insecurity. And then I narrowed the focus even more. I wasn't so much worried about pleasing all the Christians as just pleasing those in ministry. And then in my late 30s, which is now, I don't really know because I'm still going through it, so I'll name it next year sometime. But maybe I'm just like the rich trying to rule it, like just doing everything awesome. <laughs> but I can tell you this, that it's grace that's brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. I've got nothing except for the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus both humbled me to the lowest point that I've known and empowered me to the highest level that I've ever been at the same time. How is that possible? I don't know. 
But that height was not a height of platform or a height of leadership or a height of influence. It was a height of God saying that I'm his child and that that's all I need to be. And that actually I'm able to be empowered to be who he wants me to be. That it's less about being a Christian and more about being loved by him. And so as we look at these two men, I want you to self-identify. I want you to self-identify. And then I want to bring something really quickly that just blew my mind when I was preparing this message. And then I'm going to ask for a response. So I want you to self-identify the system that you're operating under according to these two men. You see, law asks, what are the minimum requirements? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What are the minimum requirements? But grace declares, have it all. Take my half my wealth, give it to the poor. Take the other half, pay back four times everything. Have it all. And Jesus declares, salvation has come to this house. Have it all. Which system are you living under? Are you operating under the, what are the minimum requirements, God, that I need to scrape through? Or God, just take my life and let me live it the way that you want me to. Law brings condemnation and grace brings salvation. Which system are you living under? See, that young man went away sad. He went away depressed. And Zacchaeus went away with a new life. And if you go away from church and you're like, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I, I can't possibly live up to this, then you're not living under grace. If you go home and you're this, I, I'm not good enough for this, then it's not grace that you're living under. You're living under the law. And grace says to you, you know what? You're not good enough for this. You can't possibly do this. You can't be who you're supposed to be. So I'll make provision for it. And I'll fulfill everything that's needed for you. Which system are you living under? Law always has another requirement. Another requirement. But grace says all requirements have been fulfilled. Which system are you living under? Are you constantly looking to, what do I need to do now? What do I need to do now? Oh man, I need to overcome that now. Or are you going, God, thank you for allowing me to live in the grace that you've given me for fulfilling all the requirements and help me to live that out, God? Here's one. Law is neat and grace is messy. Which system are you living under? Because law will give you neat lines to colour inside of. It'll give you neat little boxes to tick off. But grace will extend to people who you don't think that you should, that should have something extended to them like Zacchaeus. And it'll rope those people in and it'll declare that salvation has come to their house. It's messy. Which system do you prefer to live under? And finally, law leave us, leaves us dissatisfied and grace is a continuous supply. The young man went away dissatisfied, but grace is a continuous supply into our life every day. Mercies are new every morning. So which system are you living under? I'm going to ask the band to come now. It's 10.30 last night. I was over in my office over in that building and I was preparing this message and it struck me about that word chief, that in Matthew it says he's a chief ruler of the synagogue and, and then this says he's a, that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And I started thinking, I wonder if it's actually the same word. So in the Greek it is, the word archon, it's this preeminent word, the preeminent person. 
So that rich young ruler was a Pharisee. And then over here, you've got the preeminent tax collector of the system. The preeminent tax collector. And, and then I can only be God. Remembered the passage before the rich young ruler comes. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus speaking. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. <coughs> God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. That's what I do. But the tax collector stood at a distance, who would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And next thing, what do you know? In comes a Pharisee, and then after that, a tax collector. I mean, Luke is the guy who's reporting like a reporter, like an investigator. So he's probably done that on purpose as he's delineated that out to prove a point that we don't want to live under the system of the law. We want to live under the system of grace. That we don't want to be confident in our righteousness, but we want to know just how humbled we are and allow God to exalt us to that highest place. So this morning, let me ask you a few identifying questions. Do you have assurance of eternal life because the law will never give you that assurance. In fact, the law will always keep you guessing. If you're wondering here this morning, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. You're living under law, not under grace. And God wants to come in and flood you with His grace this morning. He'll change you. He wants you to be open to change, that's for sure. But if you think it's depending on what you're doing it's from the wrong foundation. The law will keep you guessing. The grace will give you assurance. Did you identify more with the rich young ruler than Zacchaeus? Did he seem to make a lot more sense than Zacchaeus, who's ripping people off and then just gives it all away in one motion? Are you like the people that Paul spoke to in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, where he said, you started off so well, you started off in the Spirit, but you've ended up trying to finish up in the flesh. Did you start off in grace and somehow you've worked your way in the law? Is that where you're at this morning? Maybe this morning you're thinking, the grace of Jesus is leading me to a place of repentance. And this morning, you want to do what Zacchaeus did and just respond to him. Let's come to our feet here this morning. I believe that salvation has come to this house even this morning. And so I want you to think about that. Do you identify more with the rich young ruler than you do with Zacchaeus? Are you constantly thinking about whether or not you'll make it, whether or not you're going to get there? Or you think about your goodness and other people's not so goodness. I just want you to think about that as we sing these first two verses and listen to the words this morning. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. 
There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.